to start off, we're thinking about Sid, uh, and I've got it maybe interesting. You guys just chat to chat to people around you. What if, if you have a sibling, brother or sister? What's the most evil thing you've ever done to your brother or sister? If you haven't got a brother or sister, think of a friend. I've done a lot of evil stuff to my brothers, so it was really hard to, when I was thinking about like, of all, which should I choose? So, so I just say, well, one of them was, um, so we used to, we grew up, spent a lot of time in the country, in the middle of nowhere, uh, Central West, and I remember one time, me and my two brothers, we went out to a paddock, riding our bikes, quite away from the house, and my youngest brother, Rob, he was like, oh man, I really gotta do a poop. <laughs> and we were like, dude, that sucks, you're so far from home. And then we were like, why don't you do a bush poo? He was like, what's a bush poo? Like, oh dude, you know, it's where you do a poo, just like out in the field, and then you find some leaves, and you wrap it up. And he was like, oh, are you sure? And then he was like, yeah, that's how, that's how we do it. And then um, we said, we'll wait for you. And so he went behind the tree, and then we got our bike and just got out of there, you know? And, um, and I just remember like a good, you know, 20 minutes or so later, my brother came in, little ones, you know. Uh, he tried to ride the bike, but it didn't, you know, didn't quite work. He was so angry, he felt so abandoned. And me and my brother were just having such a good time. Um, push food. Uh, so, what, why would I, why would I delight in something like that, right? Like, laughing at my brother's misfortune. Well, in this passage today, we're going to be thinking about what is wrong with us? Where does it come from? And what can we do about it? Now, just a little bit of context. If you were here last week or if you weren't, we looked at Genesis 3 and verse 15, interestingly, after Adam and Eve sinned against God, God promised one of Eve's offspring, one of her children, will defeat Satan. And you can imagine her anticipation. The very next chapter... Chapter 4, verse 1, when she gives birth to Cain and says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Here is the one God promised, she must be thinking. That Adam and Eve's sin has changed everything. And now their children share the same sinful nature. And that's why in verse 7, after God looks with favor on Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's, God says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. If you've got your Bible open in front of you, we're going to be focusing in a bit on verse 7 right now. And the first thing God is saying to Cain is sin is deceptive. Sin is deceptive. It's deceptive because sin hides itself. Now, a predator, when it sees its prey, crouches down so it can get out of the field of view. In the same way, the nature of sin is to hide itself from you. Sin crouches. Have you ever watched the nature documentary of a lion stalking its prey? Kind of like this lion over here. It crouches down in the long grass, watching and waiting when its victim isn't prepared. Like that, sin is like a crouching lion. It always looks smaller and less dangerous than it 
And the same sinful nature that motivated Cain to kill his brother is also in us. Sin hides itself by telling you, well, you're not as bad as others. Whenever we see it crop up in somebody, in our minds we insist, that person is a monster. We would never do anything like that. There's a lady named Hannah Arendt um, who went to see a trial of a really horrible Nazi called Adolf Eichmann. And she wondered, what kind of person would be capable of such incredible evil as the Nazis like this guy was? But after she went to the trial, you know what she says? He looked ordinary. He looks just like us. He doesn't look evil. You know what that means, she thought. He, he's just like us. And so the Holocaust revealed what ordinary people were capable of doing and did all sorts of crimes against humanity. Now we might think, we're nothing like these people. And it's true, we may never do something like that, but our hearts have the same potential for evil. Many Nazis claimed they were just following orders. There was a study that was published in the Journal of Current Biology, and it looked at people when they were acting under order, could make themselves feel disconnected from their actions. And the result of the study was that anyone is capable of causing harm to others when they're following orders. It's a scary thought, isn't it? Other Nazis committed such horrendous acts because they simply wanted to get ahead in their career. Sound familiar? The bottom line is the only reason you haven't sinned more is from a lack of opportunity. But if God gave you over, over to do all the evil that was in your heart, there's no knowing just how capable of evil you are. And we see this with Cain. Jealous of his brother's sacrifice and God's favour, killing his own brother in cold blood. Sin's also deceptive because though it looks small and harmless, sin is powerful. In verse 7 we saw God say, His desire is for you. It will keep offering more and more until it takes you to the grave. Now, not all addiction is sin, but all sin is like an addiction. It will never satisfy, so you keep going back for more. Um, now, has anyone seen the Terminator movies? Any of those? Maybe your parents? Yeah, I'm getting a few nods. Okay, so a guy, um, a guy, a pastor called Tim Keller, says sin is kind of like a term the Terminator, right? Now, the, the plot of the movie The Terminator, there's a girl called Sarah Connor. She's from the future. She knows how dangerous Terminators are. So he keeps warning everyone, do not underestimate a Terminator. And everyone else thinks she's stupid. So they're all unprepared when the Terminator actually shows up and kills all of them. Like, he studied humans. He knows their weakness. Sin, it, it knows you. It knows your weakness. Like a Terminator, sin desires to enslave and kill you. Now, perhaps you've never, you never had an interest in pornography, let's say, or you, perhaps you never cared about being popular, but you watched porn once, or you get a taste of being in the popular crowd, and now you find yourself strongly tempted to watch porn every day, or the thing that drives you um, is who you talk with and who you spend time with every day at school. And it's the popular kids, you just... You really want to be in with it, and it's driving everything you're doing. 
See, eventually your life is going to be controlled by sin, one way or another, if you're not aware. And you'll find yourself drifting away from God, because maybe because of guilt, maybe because of popularity, not more to God. I've seen these sorts of things many times. Sin hides itself, sin is powerful, but sin is also hides itself under half-hearted obedience. In verse 3, if you've got your Bible open, we read, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought to of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Why did God not favor Cain's sacrifice? Chat to the person next to you. Sin is deceptive. 
What that means is the Christian life is a battle against sin. The Christian life is a battle against sin. The evidence, if you ever wonder, am I a Christian? And we're doing the baptism confirmation course. It's a big question at the moment. The evidence that you're a Christian isn't whether you don't sin. It's whether you're actively struggling against sin. A non-Christian takes sin side against God, but God take, but a Christian takes God's side against sin. What does it look like to, get, to take God's side against sin? Now, if you think a predator is crouching at your door, that you may be killed, you may be killed. Like if you're aware, there's a chance you might live. But if you don't think that there's a predator at the door, you're definitely going to be killed. If you buy what the average person is saying, we're not really that simple, we're basically pretty good people, you're definitely going to be killed. But if you, if you leave sin alone in any part of your life, if you allow sin to say, oh, I'm just over here, don't mind me, I'm just fine, and you turn your back on sin, then it's on you, and it will destroy you. For example, let's, let's talk about grudges. Let's say you have a grudge. Here's what the grudge will do. It'll crouch. It'll say to you, well, I'm not a big grudge. I'm not real bitterness. Most people have never been treated the way you've been treated. Of course you're going to be angry. And if you think, um, if you think um, you, let this, you leave this grudge alone, it will not poison your whole life, you're wrong. You cannot maintain a grudge without feeling superior to others. If you feel superior to someone enough to stay mad at them, you will eventually feel superior to other people too. Now, let's say, let's say for example, we get frustrated at someone at Ignite, and you stay angry at that person for a long time, that attitude will spread. And you'll start thinking of, let's say you're angry at you know, one of the girls at Ignite's time. That, that kind of attitude will stay with you. Same as at school. And you start putting on to other people as well. The sin spreads and wants to consume. So we need to be prepared. There's no plot um, that would create a good horror movie without stupid people. Have you ever seen a horror movie before? I've watched a lot of them when I was younger. I mean, so they take a candle and they say, I hear a noise in the basement. There's a thunderstorm outside. All the lights have gone off. There have been three people killed in the neighborhood that day. And they say, here's something in the basement. They get a candle, they open the door, and they go down by themselves. Or they go, hey, there's a murderer somewhere around. Let's all split up. You know? And they're like, mm, make it easy. Pick us off one by one. Always happens, right? Without stupid people, there would be no horror movies. And you know what God is saying to Cain? What God is saying to all of us is, we can be stupid. Do you know that you're in danger? Do you not know that there are things down there that are crouching, ready to spring on you? So battle your sin. And here are some ways to do it. First, spend time with close Christian friends. You have to have some people you spend enough time with so they can see your sin that's hiding from your sight and tell you about it. 
You can't have this without spending a fair bit of time with Christian friends. You have to have time with Christian friends who know you and who you invite to point out sin and who are mature enough to not just want to hang out just to have fun, but to actually want to talk about your faith with you. If you. If you're not doing this sort of thing, sin will have you, its desire is for you, it will take you out. Secondarily, so spend time with close Christian friends. Secondarily, assume criticism is partly right. Now, often criticism is completely distorted and there's no truth in it at all. Or just it's a complete misunderstanding of what you did. On the other hand, sometimes the criticism is 100% true without distortion. That's rare, right? But maybe 90% of the time when I get a criticism, there's, there's distortion, it's twisted, but there's a grain of truth in it. Over and over again, the book of Proverbs says, don't avoid correction. Don't avoid people letting people correct you. If somebody comes and says, I have a problem with you and what you've done, don't lash back. Sit down and say, I really want to listen. I really want to find out about this. Be very open to correction. Why? Because you know sin is crouching in your life and you know you're in danger. I have a friend who, whenever he's asked, how are you going? He responds, better than I deserve. Better than I deserve. That's a pretty honest view of yourself. I'm a sinner. Everything I have is God's grace. I used to have a friend that was really good at, who I spent a lot of time with, was really good at giving me pop constructive criticism about my faith. So he would come to my house, I'd spend our time and he'd be in my apartment, and he'd see all these inappropriate posters, but I'm non-Christian, right? All these inappropriate posters, and he'd, rip, he'd literally rip them off the walls. And he'd get my, all these magazines, threw them out. Like, um, I felt like almost every week I was getting rebuked by this guy. Um, but you know what, he spent enough time and he, he knew my sin. And you know, I was sort of dating non-Christians. And, and he was saying, you know, the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is with you. In every room you're in, the Holy Spirit is there. Don't dishonor the Holy, don't grieve the Spirit. And he would always be challenging me like that. We need friends like that. You need to be a friend like that to your Christian friends who are here. They need you because sin is crouching at the door of their life. And you're there to help them not to fall into that trap. Okay, so Christian life is a battle and we need help from others to, to put sin to death. But we can be confident to win the battles with God because God gives grace to sinners. God gives grace to sinners. Let's think about this. In this passage, we see God is the one pursuing Cain. Firstly, he gently warns Cain before he sinned. Verse 6, look with me. Then the Lord said to Cain. The Lord doesn't wait for Cain to actually kill his brother. He comes down to Cain when he's even just gotten depressed and he says, so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. He doesn't show up and say, how dare you question how I handle offerings. Do you know who I am? He says, why are you angry? I want you to understand what's going on, Cain. I want to guide you the right way. I don't want you to hurt yourself. God gently warns us as well. Secondarily, God graciously helps Cain see how serious his sin is. He tells them that he's not a victim. He says, no, Abel's not your problem. Sin is crouching in your door. Sin is the problem. Sin inside you. Cain is a lesson to us that, that we are 
miserable, not because of what happened to us necessarily, but how we choose to respond to what happens to us. The solution isn't to take out all the enables in our life with a rock. It's not to gossip about other people to try and take them down. We need to deal with the sin that is in us to see how serious it is. Thirdly, God's grace is seen. God gives Cain an opportunity to turn back to God. After Cain killed his brother, God asked him in verse 9, where is Abel, your brother? God knows where Abel is. God, but God cares for the people, even those ones who don't want to listen to him. Now, the Cains in your life will come and say, accept me completely or reject me completely. Everyone almost does that. They say, you don't love me. If you love me, you accept what I'm doing. Well, God is saying, you're doing wrong, but I still love you. This is one of the greatest challenges of being a Christian, right? A lot of, I think a lot of people, Christians, would say, that person is a sinner. They've hurt me. I don't have to be kind to them. I don't have to embrace them. I don't have to bring them into my life. I don't have to care about them. God doesn't give up on Cain. And if he cares that much for Cain, think of how much he cares for you, no matter what you've done. The most significant evidence of God's grace is, the, is in Jesus. The fact that his blood pleads for salvation, not justice. Now, what does God do after this? He leads Cain to the pool of Abel's blood because Abel, because Cain did not turn back to God. And the New Testament says that Jesus is the ultimate Abel. God says, Abel's blood cries out to me from the ground for justice to take you out. But in Hebrews 12, 24, we read, and it should be up on the screen, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood cried out for vengeance and justice. Cain should not have killed him. But Jesus' blood cries out for grace and mercy. Jesus is standing before the Father, pointing to, to his blood and saying, Father, I want them to be forgiven. I want them loved. Jesus is his brother's keeper. Remember Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Jesus is his brother's keeper. Jesus took the justice we deserve for our sin. On the cross. And through the blood of Jesus, God gets justice. Jesus is punished for sin. But the pool cries out for mercy and for grace. There's a better pool of blood crying out with a better message. So the good news of Christianity is that God is not looking for a second payment for your sin. Our sin has received the payment it should have deserved. There's no payment left. Jesus is the true offspring of the woman who crushed the serpent's head and now all sinners are invited to come to him with great joy. Mark was, um, Cain was given a mark in God's mercy so that no one would kill him. But well, God is willing to show Cain mercy when Abel's blood cried out for revenge, how much more must he be willing to show us mercy when Jesus' blood calls out for our forgiveness? So God's patience and his mercy should drive us back to him. Jesus was devoured by our sin that crashed for him. 
So we don't have to live in sin any longer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for this sobering message that reminds us that our hearts are full of sin and that sin is crouching at the door. It is deceptive. It tries to remain hidden. It wants to enslave us. It wants to kill us. And on our own, we do not have the power to defeat it. So we pray by your spirit that you would help us to do battle against sin, that you'd help us to spend time with Christians that can point out our sin, that we would be willing to listen to those who see sin in us, and that we would remember that our sin has been paid for on the cross because Jesus' blood cries out a better word than the blood of Abel. It cries out for our forgiveness. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.